that was the hammer blow. That was, you know, months of probably bottling up. Like, as I always said to people, I was living the life of a fully professional pro, but then the weekend life of an AL player where I could. I think I played a Connacht Day game on a Friday and a Leinster Day game on the following Tuesday. Being honest, I was left first meeting pretty much ball and crying, like thinking like, this is over. Like. Hello and welcome to the Offfield Rugby Pod. I'm your host Brian Moylet, former Irish age grade international player, now mindset and performance coach. I help players and teams all over the world overcome setbacks, play in the zone and achieve higher levels. On this podcast, I chat with people at the top level about their journey so that you can get their insights and hear what worked for them. You probably agree that you need to be strong mentally as well as physically, but most players don't know how to work on their mindset. My new book, The Book on How You Become a Pro Rugby Player, is like a gym program, but for your mental strength. In it, you'll learn how to instantly move on when you make mistakes in games, how to feel excited and confident on the field, and how to play in the zone. And it's available now on Amazon. Please subscribe to the pod wherever you're listening, and be sure to send it on some friends. Cheers. Today's chat is with Dara Fanning, who played with St. Mary's in the All-Ireland League and then Connacht and Leinster in the pro game. Dara chats about how he got his break with Connacht and then the messy way he was dropped. Chats about heading off to Australia after that, his experiences there, and then signing for Leinster in his late 20s while he was working a 9-to-5 job. He chats about side gigs he had while playing, explains how Leinster tried to essentially lowball him to get him out of a contract he signed and also shares a story of how a seemingly innocuous injury turned into a serious emergency which has a very interesting twist. After retiring from rugby Dara opened up Mexican restaurant franchise Zambrero in Ireland we chat a bit about that and how that's going. So here's episode number 73 with Dara Fanning. Dealing with money can be very stressful and especially with everything that's happening in the world right now and stock markets crashing. If you're not an expert, it can be difficult to know what to do. Sparks Wealth is an Irish financial planner and they are experts when it comes to dealing with finances and helping guide you on what's best for your situation. You can book a free call with Will now at Sparks Wealth on their website, sparkswealth.ie. Recently, a family member of mine did just that and was so happy they did so. They said Will guided them through everything in a simple, easy to understand way, no jargon, and it was a brilliant experience. So that's sparkswealth.ie. So keen to chat about rugby, but talk to me first about your role in Zambrero and what you're up to there. Yeah, so um, I um, I brought sort of the franchise to Ireland in 2016. Um, uh, I came across Zambrero first just as Richard's customer in Australia. I was over playing in Canberra and it was arriving a Friday. The guys I was living with had a game on the Saturday. Uh, the first place they brought me after night out was on the Sunday was to Zambrero. And we just ate it just as rugby lads living in a rugby house. We ate it a few days a week. Enjoyed it. Um, one of the guys who got me there, Sean, who's now a business partner, he, at the end of that first season, ended up bringing Zambrero, which is very early in the franchise, uh, brought it from Canberra up to North Queensland. 
Um, so he went off on that journey. And before I left Australia, I um, I went up there for a couple of weeks to help him out. Um, I had some t- I got a vibe on the seven store and then had like six, seven, I think I had like eight weeks off together because I was there. I was gone. I'm back. And he was like, why don't you come up in here and help me? I'm about to open my second restaurant. Uh, he come up and give me a dig out. So I did just as a mate helped the mate. And uh, a few years later, he approached me with the opportunity of bringing it to Ireland. And uh, so that's eight years ago, August, we started sort of plotting and planning for it. I was still involved at Leinster at the time. And then we opened our first in 2016 and have, uh, we've 13 restaurants now across Ireland. We have five opening over sort of the next five months with hopefully a few more after that. So it's actually, it's been sort of a really busy expansion the last couple of years um and uh, next year is probably I, I would say going to be our best year so far in terms of new restaurants good stuff and you mentioned there like you got approached while you were playing with Leinster was that why you stopped playing like you you kind of stopped playing early no. than you could have or no you just you stopped playing when you stopped getting picked um no I my plan was I just signed um yeah, I think I signed it. I had one year left and signed a two-year extension, and um, and things were going well. I was getting games and playing, and and no, this was just something for planning for life after rugby because as well as one rugby players can't. Well, but I suppose a tiny percentage maybe can make enough out of rugby to sort of put the boots up and hit the golf course afterwards. But even for me, hitting rugby, you know, signing for Leinster so late, and and you know. Sort of doing a few different things through my twenties, like I, it was all about planning for life after rugby. Like I said, I always had a life before Lancer. Like I was working a nine to five job, and I went in uh, into Lancer first in a six week trial. So I always knew there was, you know, it's a bubble you're in for a certain period of time, and it was planning for after that. Um, and my plan was sort of to be in the background for the first first year or two. Anyway, um, look, I'd planned on playing on, but if you don't get picked, you, you don't get picked, and uh, that's unfortunately the way it goes. We decided to say to go into the business versus go to England or France or Italy or like try um, to pick up contracts. Yeah, so I, I suppose look, it's a story I've probably told a million times at this stage. But the route I took was a bit different, and uh, you know, I signed for Leinster at twenty-seven years of age at a AL club rugby. It was quite unusual. Like even a, a side story was my coach Matt O'Connor at the time. Um, so I went in first in a six-week trial and. Uh, Went in and actually didn't even get paid for it. I didn't care. I just I knew if I got in, I, I could have a crack. And um, and I did that. Uh, then extended it for three months. And then quite shortly after that three-month extension, I'd say about a, a month into that, then they offered me a year-and-a-half contract. Um, and I just signed that contract. And we were actually up in Mary's Rugby Club for uh, Jack McGrath played his first Ireland game. And they were doing a bit of a, a function for him to hang his photo on the wall. And I always remember Matt O'Connor turned to me and he's like, Oh, you read? He's like, uh, Jack, what was he? Three, four years out of even school? And I was like, What? And he's like, One year? And I was like, I was literally five years out of Jack. And it's sort of, <laughs> I always remember his face, he dropped and turned around and he goes, How fucking old are you, mate? And uh, well, he used a bit more bad language than that than he used in this. And uh, I just started laughing and said, I signed now. Um, but yeah, I was 27 at that stage. Um, and yeah, look, I, I suppose at the end, I had a year and a half left at Leinster. My last season, well, Leinster, I, I played the very first game of the season, got rotated out, and there was no plans to rotate me back in. They'd approach me in November to want to know, would they buy me out of my contract, let me look elsewhere? And for me, I'd been on a bit of a journey. Um, 
you know, it had, uh, I didn't want to keep going. You know what I mean? If I went to the UK for a year or two years, like I say, I wasn't going there to make life changing money. That's, it was, for me, it was starting Sambrero and just, and just have a crack. I was 27, like say, I'd been on my journey already. Um, and grown up as a kid, I wanted to play for Mary's, wanted to play for Ireland, wanted to play for Leinster. And I could say I ticked off two of them. Um, and like I said, if I went chasing something in the UK for a year or two, I wasn't going to, you know, I don't ever know what to do in rugby. You know what I mean? I played Highland Cup games. I played big games for Leinster. I played New Viva for Leinster. And, you know, yeah. I had big days out for Mary. So I'd done sort of ticked all my boxes. And for me, it was planning the next 10, 20, 30 years of my life. What am I going to do? And and I just thought with Zambrero uh, starting, I'm probably better off just going two feet first into it and fully committing. So they approached me in November to leave. I'd said no. Um you know, and I was still content and I was still the mindset that, you know, I might get one more chance. And that's what I was always waiting for. Because, um, look, I've been in rugby systems long enough to know that, you know, there's always that week when, you know, there's five, six, seven injuries and you're, you're dragging lads in to get games and academy lads get games. So I was always thinking, look, my chance will come. Uh, we played Dragons post-Christmas. I think the Irish lads went into camp. Uh, there was a few injuries. And that was the first time since literally September I was, I was out of the bib, which was like crazy. I, I remember running sessions for Lens and they'd pull like, you know, centres from the academy to go run on the wing for the senior team rather than pulling me out. And look, I think they just made a decision. I was gone at that stage. So they weren't bothering investing any more time in me. And that week, I thought I was going to get in, and I trained in the squad. And the first time, I had a run actually funny, trained quite well. We'd ran two plays, which we broke the line, and uh, it was sort of a joke that I remember that day. Lads were joking me like, "Let you go? They're going to sign you another three-year contract after today." And it was a bit of a gag. And Tuesday, I trained again. I was thinking, "Okay, this is it." Like I was all set for Dragons Friday night, thinking this is my chance. And uh, that Tuesday evening, Leo rang me to tell me I wasn't going to be playing. And when he told me that, I thought I was going to be on the bench and then said, no, I wouldn't even be traveling. And uh, that was the hammer blow. That was, you know, months of probably bottling up, working hard, trying to stay believing. And I just knew if they weren't picking me that week, they were literally never going to pick me. And uh, so I just spoke to my dad and he went in, negotiating an exit with Leinster and it worked in perfect time. And I left, I think the start of March was when we agreed. And two weeks later, we opened Zambro, and I've been fully in that since since then. So, uh, yeah, that's sort of uh, how it ended. Not look, no one gets the the perfect, you know, lifting the World Cup for the last ever game. But uh, yeah, it was hard. But like, look, like I say, I got to do a lot of things that at twenty five, twenty six, I never thought I would have got to do in rugby. So I was just happy with that. Yeah, and throughout that like season, say October, November, December, when you know, I think players have all been there when you kind of know you're not favor the month or whatever but um like did you have any chat from the coaches or was it just like or you just keep working or uh yeah look i i think anyone that knows me knows i'm a pretty positive person and uh and one big thing i remember was my folks at the time was not going in and being a dickhead i suppose in the environment because like i played with loads of guys who were you know come sk- skipping into training on Monday morning when they're picked and then the following week they're dropped and they're moping around and they're being a bit of a pest in training and like that was who I did and it wouldn't be me anyway it wouldn't be my style I'm sort of a bit of a happy person so I wouldn't bother dragging myself into that but 
you know, I think when I broke it down, I sort of always had the mindset I'd get one more crack because to be honest, like when I started first and I was just getting looked over and I was trying to meet coaches, you know, I went playing AL games, was giving them videos, was having a good run and you sort of knew you're getting stonewalled. And, uh, but I was still sort of thinking there'll be a time, there'll be a chance to be November internationals. And this was off the back for World Cup. So guys went to be around, guys are going to get longer rest for Christmas to be six nations. Like I'm like, there's loads of chances here, like like two years left in this club. That's how I was sort of thinking about it. And um, so, no, I just tried, you know, turn up, train every day. And, and like, I always go back to it, like, you know, it's hard. Like it is a hard time and it, you do have to be quite a mentally strong when you're not getting picked. And, you know, there is a large portion of the squad that go through that week in, week out. Um, but it's not a bad lifestyle as well. You know, when you go in on Monday morning, you have a bit of roll, you have a bit of stretch, you do a video session, you go out, you're pitching on Monday's never heavy, you have a bit of a jog, jog around, run your plays for that week. Tuesday, you come in, you do your weights, you have a pitch session, you have an hour in the pitch and that was the t- toughest time. You know, you're going out, you're putting on a bib and you just know I could be literally a tackle back here for any, all anyone cares like. And uh, you Wednesday off, you go in, you train, you prep the team again on Thursday. You Friday, come in, do a bit of weight, play an L game on a Saturday. And for me, I love playing for Mary's. Like all my mates, a lot of my my mates I played with since six years of age in that club were still, that was their last year sort of playing, which was nice as well. For all of us finished together. And uh, so I loved going up. So I was like, as I always said to people, I was living the life of a fully professional pro, but then the weekend life of an AL player where I could go play the match, whether the bus trip back from wherever it was with a bag of cans in the back and have a bit of fun. And that was sort of my outlet. Um, and yeah, you just sort of, like, it's hard. Like, a, like I know last week or two weeks ago, um, some guy I think he's involved with Harlequins tagged me in a post just saying like, this is the reality for, you know, 30, 40, 50% of a squad. And, and it's true. There's 40 odd in the squad and he's 15 get to play, you know, you're eight in the bench. So there's, you know, 50% of that squad aren't playing every week. And, and there's also a percentage that squad could go a whole season and play one, two games, if any games, I suppose. And, and yeah, that's just the reality of a, of a rugby player. Yeah, I love um, your outlook or the way you look at it, though. And that's reality, but it's a good life as well. Like this, you know, so many people that would love to do what you did and um, be in there. And like you were saying, you were, you were grateful to be there enjoying it being yeah, in that position that's like i said to you earlier i'd been on a journey before i went to college i had jobs i had different jobs i was working nine five job and when i started with lens and when mick dawson you know asked me for a meeting in his office i think it was probably the start of november and asked me about leaving i, I said to him I, I was like mick like why would i want to leave like and at the time he was trying to push me into like like I don't care so like he literally offered me not even 10% of my year and a half contract to leave and I was like what am I going to do with that first of all and I was like why would I leave I was like I've made to work till 10 11 midnight at night and are miserable and I'm coming here getting well paid and I go to the gym I can play for Mary's the weekend I was like to be honest it's it's not a bad outlook like I say it's if you take those three pitch sessions a week where you know you're just literally a tackle bag running around that's again nowadays with that like with training sessions are so short that's three hours of your week the rest of the time you're just having crack with your mates and doing weights and having a bit of a laugh around the change room and it's like going to school every day with you know 50 big kids yeah brilliant and so earlier in your career then like you got you're playing with mary's like went to college playing with mary's and then got a break with connacht how did um 
that come about? Uh, just through, uh, we did good, quite a good squad, Mary's at the time. Um, and it was probably mainly through Conor McPhillips, who had just retired from Connacht. He'd come back and he was playing with us in Mary's. Um, and uh, he was probably reliving his uh, his his missed youth when he joined Mary's because uh, I always forget the Flash was a bit older than us, but he was like absolutely loving the social side because he'd been a pro since he was, you know, 18, 19. And, but he came back and he was probably a big influence in our team. Obviously, he's gone on to do amazing things in coaching since. Um, and he was a player, but he's also a massive influence as a coach. And, and I actually didn't know at the start, like again, when the opportunity with Connor came around, I, I wasn't really massively chasing something, you know, I think it was about a year earlier than that, something had been spoken about with Leinster and, you know, nothing ended up coming about it in the end. And even for that stage, I think it was 24, maybe turning 25 when I just signed with Connor. So even at that stage, it was a bit old to be going down there. Um, and I think Connor had spoke to someone in Connacht and just said, look, this lad's playing for us. He's playing quite well. Uh, I think he spoke about Robin Colton as well, who was going quite well for us in Mary's at the time. And uh, and it just sort of spiraled from there towards the end of the season. They got me... They actually got me down. It was actually kind of funny because... I'd spoke, maybe it was two years earlier, I'd spoke to Leinster and thought something was happening, nothing happened and, and that was it. Um, I'd never played any A games for Leinster and then when Connick started chatting to me and I think it was just coincidence, it was kind of funny how it happened where I think I played a Connick A game on a Friday and a Leinster A game on the following Tuesday um, and then after that, Connick got me down and I did some gym testing with them and it was actually after we were driving back in the car that afternoon, they rang and, and offered me a development contract that day. And Yeah, that was just the back end of that year. It was a couple of weeks before the AL final, which we lost the next time to Con, which is still uh, sort of a sore point for me and a lot of my mates. But um, yeah, it was just, like I say, it was in the AL playing well and, and Connor pushed me forward to Connacht and they took a bit of a gamble on me, which was great. And so when you're like young as 18, 19, like we're, you say you want to play with Mary's Leinster Ireland. Like, um, were you just taken as it comes, or did you want to say when you're that kind of age, 18, 19, want to get into things? Or yeah, yeah, I did. I was probably uh, yeah, I was probably injured a lot when I. It was funny because my back end of my career I was probably very rarely injured. Where I was injured loads as a as a kid, as a teenager, even when I joined Mary's first. Um, no, yeah, I did. I think I was probably a little unlucky um, coming out of school that uh, I sort of missed our senior cup. I um, played fifth year. Then uh, sixth year was yeah, pretty much injured for a bit of a nothing campaign. I was, oh, I might have I'd come back from a knee injury and then came on in, I think, the first round game and then literally first played again, re-tore my rotator cuff. Um, and then yeah, got back for the semi bus. We only came on for the last few minutes. So I sort of missed any sort of window of opportunity there where we had a good run. And it's probably an unlucky run for our whole team um, because uh, we actually had a really good team that year and I thought we could have done something. We just got absolutely murdered with injuries. But like our backline got completely destroyed. Uh, you know, Mark Sexton had a really bad leg break just for the cup. Robbie Hudson, I think, cracked his kneecap first game of the cup. Um Jack Boogie, I think, broke his hand. So we just had all these mad injuries. Um, and I missed a bit of a window there. But then when I left school, 
my first year of school, and I was actually playing, played, got a good few AL games my first year, which was unreal. And uh, the Leinster and Ireland age grade had changed. It used to go under 19s, under 21s, and it changed to under 18s and under 20s. And I was caught with a group of people in like a five month gap that I was too old, um, too old for the under 20s. Uh, so would have missed any opportunity of playing for, say, Leinster 20s and either maybe playing for Ireland 20s or just even getting into a Leinster setup back then. Um, so sort of just got missed over a bit that way. And uh, I'd say my game definitely developed a lot differently as I got later. A lot of good coaches in my club career that uh, were a big influence on me. How did your game change? Uh Probably we were better coached. I look back at some of the school coaching we had back in the day, and uh, I think you probably would get better coaching under tens now. Like I, I just look at rugby in general now; is so much better. Uh, you know, guys are actually you know we were just patterns, just plays. You're actually taught about the game now. I think coming up through school systems, during school we were just like 15 guys in the pitch, and I don't even know if we had patterns. Like that was just schools rugby at the time. We sort of just. Yeah, run around, throw, skip one was kind of a big play. Um, and probably when I got a bit older, I had some good coaches. And uh, like I say, I'd like to Steve Hennessy was very good for me, Peter Smith. Uh, Sean, who's now a business partner, he was between him and the likes of Conor McPhillips. Like those two guys were pretty much our backs coaches. Sean was our backs coach. And like I say, Conor had a big influence too. And uh, just probably made me think of what was needed out of my game a bit differently. Um, probably read the game a little bit better um, and probably just stayed injury-free. Like, I always worked hard, trained hard, but I just had a lot of crappy, like, injuries, like arm breaks and stupid things. Even, like, my first year in Connacht with my appendix going halfway through the year was kind of a crap injury, but, uh, you know, kept me out for a couple of months. Yeah, and what um, nine-to-five were you working then, like, earlier on when you were <laughs> younger in Mary's? Um, I had lots of little side hustles anyway. Um, but when I was actually when I signed for uh, when Lance offered me the opportunity, I was actually working for a company that sold uh, home and commercial gym equipment. So uh, I was working with them maybe in their in their home side, uh, selling gyms to people at home. Like and uh, it was grand. I enjoyed it. They were good crew to work for. I really liked my boss. And like even when I got the opportunity with Lance, he was he moved a lot of stuff around to free me up to be able to like. Literally, I think I met them on Thursday and I started training the following Monday. It was that quick. Um, so I'll always be grateful that's for them. Um, but yeah, so it was no glitz and glamour. I'd done a few other little temp jobs and offices and stuff and different things. I was still trying to find my feet after college and didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, so I was in a bit of limbo and that probably helped like with us and Mary's at that time, like I wasn't really well. I was back end of that year, but earlier on in my last year, with uh, before I went to Connacht, I was like doing bits of part time jobs here and there. And see, we were all training during the day. We had a really good tight knit crew. A lot of lads were doing masses and stuff like that. So like, likes of Flaps just finished, and he was starting coaching with uh, Newbridge. So we had a good crew that trained together. You know, we could train at ten, eleven o'clock in the day, and and uh, and we became really tight because of that too. And what were the side hustles that you had going? Uh, I've done a few. So Christmas trees, um, probably one of my best ones, which, uh, yeah, it's a matter now. But when the RFU moved from, uh, they moved from uh, Canterbury to Puma initially, there was uh, a lot of gear that they just say the RFU had in a warehouse. 
I'm sure one of my dad's mates, my dad was like, hey, do you want to come out to the sale with me? So I went there, uh, it's this massive warehouse out by Ikea. Um, one random day with my dad, didn't know what I was going into. I walked in and next is like just a warehouse full of canterbury gear. And this is like the match day stuff. So, and the squad stuff. And even I had like, for instance, there was like Ireland training jerseys with like players initials on the side. So I was walking around and like, they were selling off like Canterbury shorts for two euro 50, like mad stuff. Oh, and uh, so I was, I was walking around this thing and I was like, you know, there's a, I can make a few quid here. And uh, this is before WhatsApp. I still remember. So I remember asking my dad for a lend of money and I had like a, maybe a couple of hundred. And I think the first time around, I might've spent four or 500 euro maybe. And literally by the time I got off the M50 coming home, my dad and the car that had nearly sold everything, like by just sending photos and things through text messages, people, this before WhatsApp. So you couldn't even put it in a big group. So I uh, I got back onto one of the RFU guys the next day and uh, probably told a, two, a few white lies to ask could I come back up to uh, to buy more gear. And uh, I went back up and spent a lot more the next day. And for the next like two weeks, my road was like uh, people, were, lads were coming out from Mary's Rugby Club after J3s, J4s, trying to park up the car. And I had my whole sitting room set out with like boxes and I'd, Everton, like I, the other mad thing at the time, like I remember they were selling skins for fifteen quid, which were fifty quid in the shops. They were, they were not branded; it was just black Canterbury skins, bottoms, and uh, yeah. So that was uh, that was one of my uh, side hustles that I did quite well out of. That's gas. So all the Marys from first to J fours are all looking slick for the next while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like some of the stuff people were getting, like you was. I remember there was like jerseys with you know ferris on the back or even the gear with the initials on the side and uh yeah everyone was absolutely decked out and brand spanking new ireland training gear for the next few months anyway that's unreal and i know when you're when you're younger like that's that's the stuff you want as well like that's the best stuff yeah i used to do uh ball boy for the Leinster ireland games and that was i was that pest after the game like socks are shorts socks are shorts that was just, <laughs> i think you'd ask them all walking by yeah what was it like then with Mary's like training AIL you said that you used to have your lads used to train during the day what was the kind of schedule like um yeah well Mary's was obviously Tuesday Thursday um and but I've always had a good crew of mates that like train like my schoolmates like a number of us were involved in the first team squad for a good few years like lads my year older and slightly younger uh, but it's generally, you know, Mary's back in the day, we used to be Monday, we'd do some sort of recovery or weights and Tuesday, Thursday would be your big sessions, weights, Wednesdays. But there was a, a gang of us that would try work our week and maybe instead of doing the weights in the evening on a Wednesday, it might go up at like 10 o'clock on a, on a Wednesday morning and get it done then. Um, it was good. Like I, I was probably really lucky with Mary's that we had like, you know, some mad SNC coaches, but actually some really good ones. Like Will Heffernan, like was one of our SNC coaches back in the day, who was an Aussie lad, mad as a hat, but uh he was way ahead of like I always remember, you know, he was a massive focus on hip opening exercises and hip mobility. And that's like one of the biggest things in the sport now. And that's gone back, you know, 15 years ago. Uh so you know, we had a really disciplined group of mates like that trained hard together. Like, you know, I think with Mary's when I left school first, we always had good teams, but we were always really small and we were always punching them over weight. And then it was like over one or two years and one or two players got recruited. And then suddenly we had this massive pack and suddenly we could compete with other teams and, and we still had this sort of 
hard work ethic there. Um, but uh, yeah, no, like Mary's was, uh, we always had a, had a, had a hard working team and Steve Hennessy always had some interesting fitness sessions for us. Yeah. And it's interesting, like you chatting about the Leinster days, like the week, and then just chatting about Mary's week there. And like, I played at Lansdowne and there's doesn't seem to be a huge difference between say a professional training schedule and some AIL clubs or the, the one below. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I suppose like, well, the one thing that, which is scary now is the schools, the school system now. And that's why Irish rugby is where it is. Like the, the senior cup, junior cup cycles now are crazy yeah. to train. They're doing and the, the, the morning training, the lunchtime getting stuff done. Uh, they have an understanding of SNC. Like I always go back to a nutrition, like, for us as kids growing up, it was eat as much pasta and carbs as you can night before a game and that's petrol in the tank. And I actually remember as a kid nearly getting a cramp at night time trying to eat so much pasta, thinking this is genius, like, but literally, you know, that's not what you should be doing, like. Uh, and even if you look back in all the Irish team photos from the late, like everyone's real chubby and sort of like real jowdy because we're just smashing carbs 24-7. Um, ah, it's different, like, you know, it's, I suppose the AL from when I went into it first to looking from the outside in now, it's it's different and guys have different priorities. Like back when I left school, look, I was in college, but I know from looking in, guys were at nine to five jobs, which actually meant they went into work at nine o'clock and left at five o'clock. Where, you know, not many of my mates go into work at nine o'clock now. They're all in work way earlier, they're all working way later. You know, in general, you know, it's much more competitive now in all areas of work now. So people are working longer days. And I always go back to some of the funnest times when you go up to Mary's, if we had a seven o'clock session, you'd be up there from 20 past six, sitting in the change room, just chatting and, you know, having the crack and sitting around, taking half an hour just to put your socks and boots on. We're down to my last season of Mary's, I felt half the squad was like, you know, wheel spinning in the gate at five to seven, sprinting from the boot of the car, pulling their boots on, running on the pitch. And, and that's where it's got a bit, bit different. And that's why I think the league is a bit of a younger man's league now because, you know, guys realise you've you got to do the extra bit of hard work if you want to go places in the corporate world. And it's not good enough just to drop tools and walk out at five o'clock. And uh, so that's probably what's hurting the AL now. And that's just, that's just life. And that's just reality now, unfortunately. Mm. And, you know, when you went off to Australia, so when you, you got was it let go by Connacht after a year and what was your mindset there were you kind of thinking I want to was pro rugby was it like getting back into it or what were you no it was uh I would say the initial thing was just trying to get away from Dublin because I'd sort of been let go out of my contract and in the same day told I was being kept on it was like the weirdest situation ever and uh then I was being told I was being kept and then uh so then they were trying to sort out the marquee sign in Connacht. So I was telling everyone, I was like, oh, yeah, they keep me next year. It's great, you know. Uh, look like I might have been going, but they're going to give me another year. And um, then there was, I think they were trying to sign Benson Stanley at the time, I think was the thing. And there was this was dragging on. And, and then there were some budget cuts. And, and then I was one of the people that pulled a contract off the table, uh, you know, mid-June. And Sean had spoken about going to Australia about a month or two earlier, he's like, oh, we'll kind of be interested in sending here for a few months. We need some outside backs. So you can come and get some games. You obviously hadn't played much your back end of the season. And I was like, oh, no way. Like, and I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to miss preseason and think you're missing out on something. 
Um, and then I got a sort of heads up at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night coming out of the cinema that I was going to be cut the next morning. And uh, first person rang with Sean to Australia. I was like, can you still get me out there? He's like, as quick as you want. I was like, yeah, book me a flight. I thought I was leaving Friday. When I woke up Wednesday, I told my parents I was leaving Friday. Turned out I was actually leaving Thursday. And uh, that Wednesday, I remember just trying to get stuff together and go. I remember even rocked up to the airport and they asked me on my visa. And I was like, oh, I don't have a visa. And luckily, died this layover somewhere. So, like, I think I had a six-hour stop in Dubai. So, I was able to apply for a visa, which might have taken 24 hours to come through. Like, it was just all on a whim. But my main thing was just probably to get some headspace and get away from every second person. Oh, I thought you were going back to Connacht. What's the story? Or where are you going next? And obviously, I hadn't looked for clubs. And, you know, it's hard. Mid-June, most clubs have done all their signings months ago. So, um, my sort of thought process was go down there, get some games. I had an agent through that time. Let him try have a little look for me if he could get me anything. And uh, and yeah, that's I basically went down there, loved it down there. Um, came back. There was some sniffs around like championship in England, but nothing even concrete. And then I sort of just said, "Look, I I was twenty five at the time, or maybe I was probably twenty six by that stage." And I was like, "Look, I'll just yeah, I was twenty six, and I was like, look, I, I probably missed the boat. I didn't want to play outside Ireland and chasing the championship." You know, I probably want to start thinking about life after rugby. I had a really good offer from the club to go back to Australia for a season. Some offers to go playing some sevens with like the Brumby sevens set up and stuff. So I was like, look, I've got some fun in Australia for a year and then, you know, come back and the plan was to start real life. And I was even half thinking about doing a teaching degree, which uh, I don't know how that would have went. But um, that was sort of my 12-month plan was go back to Australia, enjoy it, see a bit of Australia, play some sevens um, and come back and then 27 start life. <laughs> um, and what happened with Connacht? Were you down there for a year at first? Was that it? Or, or... Yeah, yeah. I was down signed for a year and um, I think I played about uh, nine games up to Christmas and I think it was Christmas week or a week after Christmas. Um I was driving back from Dublin, just wasn't feeling well. wasn't feeling well that night. Woke up to Monday morning, wasn't great. Tried train. I remember I was in bits training. And uh, I asked to see the doc. Um, and I said, oh, Dave Nolan's heard his ankle. Would you drive him down to the doc surgery? So I drove him down. And the uh, doctor was asking me my symptoms. I remember sitting in his office, Ginge, and he was like, uh, oh, up there in the bed, everything could be your appendix. And I was like, oh, it's nothing like that. I think it's just like, I don't know, a stomach ulcer or something. And I remember he just touched my stomach. And I know he jumped off the bed. I was like, yeah, it's your appendix. I was like, you're sure? And then he like hit me again. And uh, and I was like, what am I going to He's like, your, your appendix is, it's definitely your appendix. You need to get to the hospital now. I was like, well, what's the quickest way? I was like, should we ring an ambulance? He's like, no, that would take too long. And uh, he was like, you should drive yourself and be the quickest. So I left the doctor, started panicking, like rang my dad. I'm driving to... Uh, driving to the doctor's surgery and I just got uh, I just got a, a changed car a month earlier and didn't have a tax disc on it and I was coming up towards the hospital and there was a bloody checkpoint and uh, and I just let her with me for the doctor and, and they were waiting for me at A&E knew I was coming like, and uh, this lady I was in her vanguard was an absolute weapon and uh, she's like oh you've no tax I was like I've just changed car I'm waiting on the logbook and she's like oh well, I was like, hang on there now, do you have your license? I was like, I'm not actually lying to you here. I'm literally on my way to A&E. And I was like, I have a letter here. 
I was like, oh, well, you should have thought that that before you tax your car. And I'm like, this isn't a joke. I was like, and gave her the doctor's letter. And she's like, oh, right, give me your license there. And she like walked off to the car with this letter that I had for the hospital and my license. And, uh, and I remember I was in the car and I was like, what the hell am I going to do? And I was like, my plan literally was, if she got me to get out of my car, I was just going to pretend to faint. Because I could see the hospital. I was about like 500 yards of the hospital. And I was like, if I pretend to faint, she'll just drive me to the hospital. So uh, she came back and I was arguing with her for a bit more. And I was like, look, just read the letter. I like, couldn't have made this up like. And uh, I was like, ring the hospital if you want. And she's like, look, I'll let you go this time. If I ever see you again with this car, I'll be impounding it straight away. And so uh, eventually let me go and I drive on to the hospital. And I was literally getting operated on about 40 minutes later. Jesus. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's mad. And uh, how long then? So well, out for a while and were you kind of hoping that you'd still... Um... Yeah, yeah like that, that it was obviously a tough time to get injured i remember the real annoying thing was we had two home games in europe against two of the easier teams and i knew lads we rotated and i remember there was always like there's gonna be loads of good games playing games because we, we didn't win that many games when i played so you know it was like and uh and obviously it was coming into contract season for you know guys at my level there's sort of it's february january february march is sort of when they're re-signing or chatting to you when they've got all the bigger players done and um yeah, it was a tough time to miss games and I was trying to get back and Connick weren't going too bad the back end of the season. A couple of guys had got in and done all right and it was just hard to get back in. Um, like I played the last couple of games for for um, for Goegians, which was good crack, good crew of lads. And, uh, but yeah, I just couldn't get back in and then again, I'd sort of been told my contract was gone and then you know, the same day they told me no, I was being kept. Uh, and so I just thought, look, I was like, just finish out the season and get me to preseason, try to get a good preseason under my belt and start again fresh next year. And, uh, and then yeah, I was in Australia two months later. Yeah, that's mad with the, the contracts. I could, like, you, you always think to be organizer, like professional teams, or I don't know. I think, I think the reason at the time was, um, I think there's a certain date in your contract, you have to be officially told you've been let go. And I think because I was borderline, they had to officially tell me. But then, like I said, half an hour later, pulled me into a meeting and say, oh, look, I actually think we're going to keep it. And I was like, like being honest, I was left first meeting pretty much bawling and crying, like thinking like, this is over. Like, And uh, they pulled me back in for that. And uh, like I always remember even when they rang me time we was going, they were like, look, we thought we'd a squad of uh, whatever, say 42. And of course, it's going to be 39 and you're number 40. And that's... Uh, yeah, that was just the unfortunate thing. But look, it was grand and worked out fine the end. And look, I don't have any regrets. I loved my experience in Australia. That obviously definitely improved my game again. Um, like, I loved the rugby down there. I was playing on rock-solid pitches um, every week. Like, I think we played in rain once, maybe in two years. And so, uh, yeah, look, everyone happens for a reason and I just went with the flow. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And... And then down wasn't it Canberra? You were playing what like the AIL one A equivalent? Yeah, yeah. Um, like we, yeah, Canberra Vikings was one A. Was playing the ACT stuff. Played a lot of Brumbies A games and was involved in their seven setup and stuff. And uh, actually, nearly got a game for the Brumbies against Wales. Actually, which would have been unbelievable. But then uh, I think it was Jesse Mogg on. If the game was on like a Tuesday, I think Sunday night, he ended up getting released from the Australian squad and came back and played. Um, one of our other, one of the other guys in the team got to play, uh, which would have been 
like an amazing experience. But yeah, it's the Camera Vikings, like that club was, uh, yeah, hard. I, I suppose, how would you describe? Like they were really a professional team, like a semi professional team in a professional league. Like we had lots of ex pros. Um, they were paying a lot of money at the time. Um, like we had a great coach, Dan McKellar was our coach. I just met up with him last week. He's now the Aussie Boards coach. And like that was the one thing I took from Australia was, you know, my daughter could have coached their Vikings team to win the league. We had such a good team, but I knew that Dan was a pretty special coach. Um, and again, a little like my time in New Zealand, like you'd, like uh, there was lots of Aussie internationals playing on our team or playing against towards the back end of the season, which is pretty cool as well. So how would that have shaped up against, say, AIL, like teams or how do you reckon? Um, to be fair, our starting our starting Vikings team boat years that was started to say the final boat years was pretty impressive. Um, like Scott Seo would have played boat years, I think. Zach Collins played one of the years. Kobe Fianga was playing the first year. Uh, a couple of guys played in the Aussie Seven setup. So, like the Vikings would have won, definitely won the AL. At the, even this is back when the AL was a lot stronger. They definitely would have probably won the AL. I, I reckon. Um, maybe a bit of a different day in a wet, muddy, crappy day. They might have been used to that, but like with some serious players who'd like who'd played a lot of rugby, like tighthead prop Mike Noble. I played like three years in New Zealand schools. Had been around, played in NBC, played in Europe with Toulon and stuff, and. Like, so there's a lot of guys like that in the team as well. And then there was a lot of guys that were trying to aspire to get contracts and a few guys in the Brumbies Academy set up at the time. Um, and yeah, we're trying to get places by going to the Vikings. Cause I think for a few guys coming down from like Brisbane to Canberra, it was kind of a good launch pad for them to uh, get into the Brumbies setup. Um, and then actually my second year, we won the Australian championship. So we beat Sunnybank and, and uh, we also beat an absolutely stacked Sydney Uni team, which is, I say we were only chatting about a few weeks ago when I was in Australia, like still probably one of the happiest I've ever been after a game just because they were such a bunch of dickheads, to be honest. And yeah, it's the only way to describe them. They loaded the wire as playing and I remember they were just thinking they were going to steamroll us and we beat them in a sort of a really tight, scrappy game. Um, and uh, yeah, it was pretty satisfying. as Patrick's there, I always remember, because we... I'll dress up in green gear for a bus trip on the way home. Nice one. And any things that surprised you when you like living in Australia or? Um, no, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, I like life in Australia. Like I was only there a couple of weeks ago at work for two weeks and yeah, it's a cool country. I, I like the Aussies. A lot, of, a lot of people don't like them. Um, I sort of buzz off their arrogance. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, I suppose, the weather is a lot nicer um, in most places, like, you know, particularly up north, uh, where Sean's from in Townsville, it's, I think, the sunshine over 300 days a year. So it's, uh, but yeah, look, I enjoyed my time there, but I probably had my fill of camera. The camera's quite small. There's not a massive event going on there. Uh, I lived with a couple of really good lads um, and an opportunity to stay on. They wanted me to stay on and get involved in the coaching in the club. Um but yeah, for me, I think my time in camera was on. If I probably had been in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane, I would have had a bit of an Irish network. Like the one thing being in camera, I know I had a lot of good mates, but you didn't have any of your home mates where like a lot of my mates were in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane. And, you know, it's, I know you don't want to go over and just hang around with the Irish people, but it is always nice just to have that outlet as well. Yeah. And 
then when you finish up, say what you're doing now, what, what was the biggest challenge you found kind of transitioning into the work you're doing now? Um, I, was, I, I suppose the first year was trying to understand, trying to learn the business as much as I could, uh, trying to understand my role, what was needed. Like I always say, like I always say, if I could go back to March 2016 and step into my shoes then, I would do so much things so differently. But, you know, a little like how my rugby career went, I think, you know, the way I did things back then and the way I learned the business and, you know, I wouldn't change it because it's given me experiences and understanding of the business that I wouldn't have got if I just went in now to it. Um, like, I, I always look back, we used to do, I used to do silly things like, you know, cover a shift if someone was off sick to save 20 quid in a roster. But, like, what I was trying to grow as a franchise, not just, you know, save 20 quid for one company restaurant. Um, when really I should have been working, you know, on the business rather than in the business. And, you know, probably was caught up too much in it. But by being in it so much at the start, I really understand the, the day-to-day workings of the restaurants now. So, um, you know, people ever talk about problems or issues, like a lot of them I will have seen or have been through. Yeah, and so what now you, you're like overlooking and just like opening new stores and that's kind of the, um, yeah well obviously at the, at the start so the way we had our contract to start we were going to open one company one for 12 months have a trading and set up the supply chain open two more company restaurants after that to get to a network of three before we could sub franchise out um, and so that was it the first two years we were trying to get the company stores up and going trying to set our supply chain make some tweaks to the operation because it just, it just for whatever reason just works a little different to Australia um and now yeah it's my days can go from literally anything to the restaurants but uh yeah now my my focus now is growing restaurants um obviously one of the big issues we're having is inflation costs from like i feel every day i just get an email from suppliers with increases so it's trying to they're trying to negotiate down as much as i can to find alternative suppliers to um you know meeting with my franchise partners to make sure they're all happy because as i always say my phone's quiet when the franchise partners are happy so you know that's what you want you want to keep them all happy um and you want to keep them all in business like that's the main goal is like i would say there's no point opening the 50s and barrels just to close 30 of them you know a couple of years later you want to have uh and i think we're we're at a bit of a stage now where we're starting to get a bit more selective um not that we've had any issues today but just we've probably been approached by maybe few more corporate angles with our with our franchising which we've decided to sort of steer clear of because uh it's now about getting good people into the network uh like we've a great crew of franchise partners and i wouldn't like to ruin that by you know bringing in some corporates that might might change the model or might try change things and uh, be a bit heavy-handed so it's about you know selecting good franchise partners and good locations where i think they can be successful rather than just open one for the sake of opening one yeah, so if a franchise partners say, I come to you and say, hey, I want to open one in wherever, Galway, and then... Yeah, so so the way it works now is, and I always say this to people, I, I get people just saying, I want to open one in Ireland, Dublin, Galway, Cork, wherever. So we, we've sort of, I suppose we've built a bit of a, an in-the-box solution now. So if you come to me say in Ireland, great, I've agents, I've, I've locations in Ireland, I'd love to open restaurants, I'll tell you where we're targeting. If you come to me and say, Galway, brilliant, I've areas in Galway we're targeting. You might say, I've got a location, that's fine. If you don't, we can help you. We can get agents to get involved and actually go to market and find stuff off market for you. 
then it's getting to fitting out. We've builders, we've designers, we've a couple of different builders that will quote for the work. We'll help you with that. We'll help. We'll do your training. We'll help your recruitment. We'll work with you up until you open your restaurant. We'll have people on site for sort of ten days after you open your restaurant to get you really well bedded in. And then we'll start to wind back from that sort of second week and then might be two visits to one visit. Then we're on the phone, you know, a couple of times that the, the week after that. And then it's, then you're into a cycle where you're up and running and, and it gets to say you're a franchise partner wants to fly themselves. Like, as I always say, I could say, we could say have off street on site for six weeks, but you're not going to learn it. And, and always happens. We leave on a Friday and there's always without fail so far and all the fans has always been the day after we left has been oh we didn't do this or we got this but they'll learn from that mistake and it's never ending. it's never ending bad like it could be I forgot to order lettuce or you know we ran out of beef for an hour like these aren't you know detrimental problems but they're problems that the franchisee will learn rather than us being there just picking up slack um, so that's why we try that second week be in the background let problems go as long as they can't be fixed and then step in and go, look, you need to fix this now. You need to do this now or you forgot to place your order. You need to get this in before two o'clock. Um, and then after that, we audit the restaurants once a month. So Noel, who's my operations manager, he'll go out to your restaurant, audit it from top to bottom from making sure you're buying from right suppliers, music being played, staff and right uniforms, uh, you know, checking the quality of the food being prepped, uh, literally measuring and weighing burritos going out to speed of service to customers and, that's all put into, you know, he fills it in as he goes. It spits out a score. And then, like today, just after I came from there, I met with uh, Paul, our Dundrum franchise partner. We sat down with him this afternoon. You know, his last audit was perfect, so we didn't really go through it. It was just really a general catch-up with him. You know, checking in how his controllables, his labor costs, his, his cost of goods are going. Obviously, for him, located in Dundrum, he's coming into his biggest month of the year. He reckons it's going to be... Uh, the biggest one for any restaurant of uh, any Zomero so far to date. So, um, yeah, so it's just trying to prep him for Christmas. You know, he's going to need more staff. Uh, you know, Christmas week is kind of awkward for him with deliveries. So we're trying to work solutions for him because he's going to have some huge days on the 26, 27, 28. We're chatting, but he can't get deliveries to the 29. So just trying to help with problems with that. And just, and just really a, a check-in and a coffee and, you know, keep that relationship there. You know, myself and all have good relationships with, with all the franchise partners and um and that's what we want. Like we had our first franchise partner get together in um in August. It was just a, a dinner uh and it was brilliant to introduce a lot of people to each other, like the franchisees to each other. I know since it a number of them are in the background. Well it could be they're probably in the background giving out about me and all, but uh I know a lot of them are in the background working together, which is what you want like i know people have run out of stock and they picked up the phone and rang and you know got the lender you know asking advice and different problems because these people are all living the same life every single day and uh and so sharing information which is great um and yeah now it's just trying to grow the network like i say we're opening in liffy valley now in a couple of weeks uh where we were meant to open last week we went up this week and now it looks like we're going to be back in another two and a half weeks um and then We've got Manute, Newbridge, Cherrywoods, um, and we've two other locations signed for uh, all should open before May. All going well with building and councils, but it's Ireland, so um, we may twenty twenty four. But uh, no, I'd say by May next year we'll be have all M five open or are pretty close to opening uh, the last one or two. Brilliant, good stuff, and. What, just last couple of questions, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? 
What advice would I give? Um, geez, I don't know because, like I say, the way I went and the route I took all gave me different learnings along the way, which, you know, like, like I say, I, I'm a positive person. I always believed in myself. Um, I always tried to look on the bright side of things. I don't let things overly stress me. Um, I would probably talk to my 20-year-old self and discuss, you know, the way I viewed the rugby game as a 25-year-old to a 20-year-old. Um, you know, how to have involvement, how to read the game, things like that, definitely in a rugby sense. Um, in a life sense, I don't know. I think I had a pretty good uh, time during my 20s, so I don't know what I changed too much. Yeah, good stuff. And then what advice would you give to yourself a year after opening Zambrero? um work on the business not in the business like uh look at the bigger picture um like i was probably too caught up in you know geez i could save you know 50 quid by covering a shift or two here we're actually the bigger picture is not 50 quid at the end of the year isn't going to change your life but if you open two more restaurants the following year there's a lot more to make than 50 quid in it. so um I would say it took me a bit of time to to realize that and to, to stand back and uh, not get caught up. You know, I suppose the big thing I'm trying to, I've been trying to take sort of um, definitely the last year anyway at work is probably just work smarter, not harder. And don't get up, don't get caught up in stuff I don't need to get caught up in and try to be a bit more disciplined on, on my time. Even, you know, for stuff like working at home, if I start something and, you know, you know it's like sometimes, something that t- should take 40 minutes is taking an hour and a half and you're getting a bit caught up and it just, you know, put it down for an hour, go on something else and come back to it and with a bit of a clear mind. Uh, but definitely I would say stand back and look at the bigger picture of the business and not just the small individual restaurants. Yeah. It's, I know what you mean. It's uh, it's challenging. Sometimes there's like a real comfort in being busy. You're like, Oh, I'm busy. I'm doing this. I'm busy. Do, doing the crappy jobs just to feel like you're busy. But, um, yeah, no, like, uh, I would just, yeah, I try set my day up now so I clear a lot of that stuff out and then free up and, and try to be a bit more scheduled on my time if I can, like have a bit more, like I sort of have a bit of an overall routine to my weeks in general, my main jobs I need to take over the week and then outside that it's filling it with you know, any sorts of things can come up in, in a different day with all the, between the company restaurants and like we had a customer complain yesterday, he was, uh, ordered red chili sauce and they were asked that the shirt's very spicy and they took offense to that and wrote this complaint. So these are uh, these are the things you deal with in the hospitality business. Yeah. Well, hey, brilliant stuff. Thanks well for your time, Darwin. Unreal chatting. No worries. No worries. Best of Cheers for listening in today. My new book, The Book on How You Become a Pro Rugby Player, is available now on Amazon all over the world. The foreword is by Leinster, Ireland and British and Irish Lions player Robbie Henshaw and there are insights throughout from players at the top of the game. It's a book that I needed but didn't have when I was younger and in it I give you tools and strategies on how you become more confident on the field, develop your self-belief and play your best rugby. Here's some feedback from Aid Chapman who is a mental performance coach from Wales. Hey Brian, I have finished reading your book. I have to say it's pretty comprehensive and hits all the areas. Congrats. My son has also enjoyed reading it and he hates reading. I've got lots of reviews and feedback on Amazon. 
which I'm really grateful for. But I loved hearing that one that his 17 year old son who hates reading enjoyed it. As far as I'm aware, this is the only book in the world available to help young rugby players with the mental side of the game. And you don't have to be an avid reader. I've written it in a way that it's easy to understand and put into action because I know when I was 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, I wasn't reading books and I didn't enjoy reading until I was in my mid-twenties, but this is what those young players need and what I needed, so it's written with that in mind. Wherever you are in the world, just go to the Amazon that you usually use, be it Amazon.com, Amazon.ca or .co.uk. But if you're living in Ireland, you can get the book through my website, which is offfieldrugby.com. I will then sign the book and send it out to myself. And that's the only place you can get it right now because Amazon are having trouble with Brexit with sending some books to Ireland. So I've been over and back with them. There's a bit of an issue there which is kind of out of my control, but I'm doing my best. So I have a workaround. And yeah, if you're living in Ireland, go to offfieldrugby.com. You can buy the book there and I'll send it out to you. Also, if you're in the UK and you want a signed copy of the book, you can also buy it through the website, offfieldrugby.com. But for everyone else around the world, Amazon is the place to get it. Also, I was speaking to the senior rugby and hockey teams in St. George's School in Bray this week, which was really enjoyable. I shared some frameworks on how you have belief as a player, even if you're a big underdog, how you move on when you make a mistake in games, how you stay calm under pressure in games, and lots more. If you're a coach and you'd like to help your players with the mental side of the game, or if you're a player and you'd like to have a chat, please go to my website, offfieldrugby.com and contact me through there or send me a DM on Instagram which is at offfieldrugby or LinkedIn which is my name Brian Moylet. Just send me a message, would love to hear from you and we will line up a time to chat. Thanks Mill as always for being here. If you want to help the pod what you can do is send this on to some friends now and or leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening to the podcast right now. Those two things take 30 seconds, but are so, so greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. Have a brilliant rest of your day. Cheers.